Hi, welcome back to The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm Chris Dixon. And I'm Sarah Hendricks. We talk a lot on this podcast about setting big goals. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens when you achieve them. In The One Thing, when you achieve big things, you have to spend the time to reflect and reset your goals and priorities. And that's what's happening today on The One Thing Podcast. Jeff Woods, who has been the host of the podcast for more than five years, has decided to step away, focus his one thing on what's most important to him, his family. And we had the opportunity to sit down with Jeff and walk through his success story with implementing the principles of the one thing in his life and how he was able to identify his one thing that has made this transition extremely bittersweet. Today, Jeff Woods is gonna share his early experiences with the one thing, valuable insights he learned along the way, and what you can do to think really big and go small. So without further ado, Jeff Woods. Jeff, everyone knows you from the podcast and your extensive experience around the community, but can you give us a little bit more insight on how you first got started with the one thing? When I think back on it, Chris, it's such a crazy story. Prior to co-founding this company with Gary and Jay, I was in medical device sales, which was a great job. I woke up every day running through hospitals, selling a device that actually saved lives. Yet, I mean, you guys see this interacting with people in the community. A lot of us might find satisfaction in what we do professionally, yet deep down, lack fulfillment. And that's where I was. Great job, great lifestyle, but deep down, I knew I was meant for more. And at that time in my life, two things happened that really set me on a new journey. First, a colleague of mine had a stroke at the age of 35. And at the time, my wife and I had just had our first child. We just bought a house in Orange County. My wife decides to quit her job to become a stay-at-home mom. And I remember standing in my kitchen, looking down at my scrubs. I wore scrubs every day. And thinking to myself, if what happened to my colleague had happened to me, what happens to my family? And the very next week, my company needed to make a change to our commission structure just to remain competitive in the marketplace. It was the right thing to do for the company. However, overnight, I lost 40% of my income. And that's when I really found myself asking different questions and searching for different answers. It was then that I was introduced to the Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I actually made a list of the five people that I was spending the most time with, saw the names of five amazing friends, but realized None of my friends were actually living the kind of life that I wanted to be living. And my one thing at the time, even before knowing what the one thing was, became surrounding myself with mentors, people who were where I wanted to be. And I launched a podcast called The Mentee just to document my journey of going from employee to entrepreneur and the private conversations I was having with my mentors. And you fast forward a few weeks after I launched the show, it's our national sales meeting. Jay is the keynote speaker talking about the one thing. And he is just blowing my mind. And I remember... Sarah and Chris, the whole time he's speaking, I'm wondering, how could I get a guy like Jay to be one of my five? Which then all the limiting beliefs set in, like, there's no way he'll talk to you. There's nothing you could give him that would make it worth his time. But when he finished speaking, he gets a standing ovation and the entire room sat and I found myself standing. And it was one of those defining moments where my mind was telling me to sit down, but my heart was telling me to run. And before you know it, I am sprinting down the side of the ballroom. I intercepted Jay and that began a relationship. What I was unaware of was that the one thing had already become one of the highest rated business books of all time. And that created a challenge and opportunity for Gary and Jay. Because Gary's one thing was being chairman of Keller Williams. Jay's one thing was writing books with Gary. They were looking for somebody whose one thing would be the one thing. And that became my opportunity. 
That is my favorite story because it really goes to show how much you embodied the one thing even before it began. And one of the things that I think is so important is, and for the listeners to know, is you've been a practice leader of the one thing for all of this time. And obviously that meant you had to start learning and living the principles really quickly. When did you start seeing results show up in your own life? First 90 days. So November 1st, 2015 was my first day on the job. And within the first few weeks, Jay said to me, one of the fastest ways that I could get out of business with him and Gary was to not live the book. And he clarified, he said, living the one thing doesn't mean that you're perfect, which I'm sure we're going to talk about this more later in terms of the challenges that people have. But he said, you've got to at least be trying. And if you want to earn the right to be a face of this brand, you've got to be a practice leader of it. And so within the first 90 days, it was super clear. I had to start living the one thing. And it was, my life changed in 90 days. It's so funny because I just think of my 90 days and I'm sure Chris is reflecting on his 90 days of like the challenge of changing your mindset so quickly to be able to incorporate the principles is just like such a challenging thing that you don't understand, but it's so important when you're really starting to learn it. So you and I had a conversation on this podcast as well. It's actually episode 334. And I talked a lot about being new to the one thing, implementing it, and really the struggle that I was having with the six lies. When you first started out, was there one lie in particular that was really challenging for you and kept showing up? Oh, yeah. Lie one, everything matters equally. And I think this is probably a very common experience for people who start their journey of living the one thing. Because most of us, prior to becoming practice leaders, we wake up and what's the first thing we do when our alarm goes off? We check our email. Right. While we're still in bed. And then we get ready for work. We show up to work, whether that's at home or in a physical office, fire up our computers and do what? Check our email again, check our calendars, checking, we're yep. checking social media, we're checking everything. <laughs> right. Until you have to go to your first meeting. Get out of your meeting, have five minutes, so you. Check your email. <laughs> and then somebody swings by and asks, hey, you got a minute. Can you you're do a team me player, a favor? You say, oh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. And it literally repeats all day long. And you look up at the end of the day, knowing you were busy, but genuinely questioning what you got done. That is all of us. And then when you make a commitment to start living the one thing, you realize that of all the things that you could do, in any moment, there is one thing that is most important that you should do first. And for me, it started with just checking my 411 before I checked my email, checking my list of priorities before I checked everyone else's. And when I looked at my 411, I remember seeing the number one priority for the week. And I found myself going, well, let's start knocking that domino down. And then I remember thinking, well, do I even have time on my calendar? So I automatically started adjusting my time blocks. So the first 30 minutes of the day were mine. So I didn't even have to check my calendar. I checked the 411, saw the domino that I needed to knock down, and I started whacking away at it. And what was amazing is in less than 90 days, I found myself getting way more done in way less time with way less stress. And all of a sudden, when it was time to shut down work and actually be with my family, I was able to make that transition a lot more successfully. Jeff, you've been on this one thing journey for over six years. Part of how we teach people to achieve extraordinary results is to imagine possibility someday into the future. We tell them to break free of what's doable, to go past their stretch goals and imagine a possibility someday out in the distance. 
When you think back to when you first started with the one thing, what was the possibility goal that you set for yourself and where are you today on that journey? The one that comes to my mind, it was a net worth goal. Wealth and money has always been something that I've been fascinated by. I'm always reading books about it, listening to podcasts about it. And I remember a mentor prior to getting into business with Gary and Jay teaching me what net worth was. And he described it as the scorecard of the rich. He said, look at all the things that you own minus all the things that you owe and you get a number. If it's positive, you have a positive net worth. If it's negative, you have a negative net worth. And he said, just even knowing what your net worth is, is huge. And the goal is to raise it over time. And I remember my wife and I, we looked at what our net worth was when we first joined the organization and we had goals to become millionaires, which seemed like this crazy, long-term, hopefully someday goal. Yet it was a chance to say, okay, let's, let's put it out there. And I shared this with Jay. I mean, I told him part of the reason we're coming to Austin to get into business with you and Gary is we want to become net worth millionaires. And Jay said, great. If you're giving me permission to coach you there, I will. We will take you on that journey. And the crazy thing for me is even declaring that to Jay was scary because it just seemed so big at the time to the point that it was like almost like a wish goal. Yet, I've also heard Gary say that you can be anywhere you want to be in five years. And we massively overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but we massively underestimate what we can accomplish in five. And in less than five years, that goal happened. And it happened because good mentorship, good coaching, and being able to identify the small, simple dominoes. Not complicated, nothing crazy, but the simple things that you can do that if consistently done over time, can unleash massive results. How important was it during your journey for you to have Jay as an accountability partner or an accountability partner in general? I mean, you know, that's such a huge principle of the one thing. It was the reason that I decided to quit a, quote, secure corporate sales job and what many people would consider taking a risk to go into entrepreneurship was I remember asking myself the question, if I want to wake up one day being a business owner that makes a massive impact in the world and delivering real security for my family, if I'm going to go down that path, I can go at it on my own and figure it out and make a lot of mistakes, or I could partner with people who have done it before. That was the reason that I made the move to the one thing, was for that mentorship. So it was everything. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month.
I think it's so important for people to know, too, that it's not just somebody that's like looking at your 411 every week and saying, you did this bad or you did this great. It's somebody that's looking at the whole trajectory of your life specific to those one-year goals and saying, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to achieve. And they're telling you, yes, you can do it and I'm going to help you. And I think that's more important than somebody thinking like, oh, it's just somebody who's making me chained to my tasks or goals or accomplishments. It's somebody that's really a cheerleader at the end of the day. Yeah, well, not only a cheerleader, but also somebody to call you out when you're starting to travel down the wrong path. And Jay knew that this goal was important to us. And there were several times where he had to have some tough conversations with us. Like, I remember my wife and I were still not on the same page with money around budgeting. And I remember him looking at me and I gave him permission to have this conversation with me. So that's important from an HR compliance standpoint. I gave him permission to play this role in my life. But I remember him looking at me and saying, Jeff, how do you expect us to trust you with the finances of the business if you can't manage the finances of your personal life? For years, we've been talking about you getting on a budget. For years, we've been talking about you developing the habit of living a lifestyle in alignment with a budget, regardless of how high or how low that number is. You haven't done anything yet. It's time to make a change. What are you going to do? What does having a someday North Star goal enable you to do on a day-to-day basis? Know the difference between a priority and a distraction. Have you heard of hyperbolic discounting? It's the idea that we value things more when from a timeline perspective, they're closer to the present. Like if, if I say, I'll give you $100 today or $200 tomorrow, which would you take? Yeah, you're taking $200 tomorrow. Right, everybody would say that. Yet, if you said, I'll give you $100 today or $200 a year from now, you'd logically think that people would say, I'll take the 200, yet the majority of people would take 100 today. Even though it's 100% growth, which show me an investment with low risk that can generate that type of return. That's hyperbolic discounting. So it's hard for us in the context of the one thing. It's really easy to say yes to things that are in front of you, that are kicking and screaming for your attention now and say no to the things that aren't kicking or screaming that you actually need to consistently do over time to get to where you want to go. So that's why having that someday vision is so important because then you can ask the question, hey, if I want to own my own business one day, or if I want to have a thriving marriage, if I want to have the type of relationship with my kids as they get older so that they come to me instead of their friends for guidance first, then how do I have to now behave in this moment? It just gives you a compass to make better decisions. So we know having this someday possibility goal really allows us to make decisions in the moment. But if you pick your head up and you look someday into the future and and this big goal that you've set for yourself seems so far away, maybe it's unachievable. We know we need to work our way back to checkpoints or waypoints along the way on that path to achieving our goal. But what we often find is that people don't go small enough Mm. and they get stuck at we consider the 18th domino. In your experience, where have you seen people get stuck and not go small enough in finding their lead domino? I think in the context of living the one thing, they think that living the one thing 
is that they have clear someday goals. They've got well-defined five-year goals. Those goals are broken down into one-year goals. They've broken those goals down into monthly priorities, down into weekly priorities, that every single one of them is time-blocked. They protect every single time block. They perfectly act in order of priority. They say no to all the distractions. They're always in the middle of a 66-day challenge, forming a habit that could decide their future. Like That's all the stuff that we teach. They think that they have to do it all forever. That's thinking big. That's like the someday, okay, if you were perfect, that's what it would look like. But when they go to the 18th domino, it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It is in fact leaning, yet none of us could actually go and push it down. When they think they're starting their journey, they're just not going small enough. They're like, well, I'm going to time block every single hour of every day. It's too big because you cannot, well, most people cannot honor every single time block perfectly every day. I only laughed because I'm pretty sure I, that's the first thing I, I did. I, I remember that was you. And that's so <laughs> common, but the opportunity is to go small. Can I identify one thing that I want to get done this entire week and let me put it on my calendar. And when I show up for that time block, let me just do that time block. Let me give myself permission to put my phone on do not disturb for 10 minutes. Let me give myself permission to shut my email down for 10 minutes. If somebody comes into my offices and asks, hey, do you got a minute? I'll say yes in 10 minutes. Can we start really small and prove to ourselves that we can actually identify something that matters and focus on it, even if it's for five or 10 minutes? Because if you can knock that domino down, it stands you up with far more confidence than say, okay, can I do it for 15 minutes? Can I do it for 20? Can I do it for 30? Can I do that every day? And it's just like going to the gym. It's a muscle. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And all of a sudden, you look up in a relatively short period of time, actually feeling like the type of person who's in control of their time. What advice do you have for someone that is asking, how do I know if I've gone small enough? When you arrive at an answer that is so small that it almost feels like it's cheating, where you're like... I can do that. It's so small, it actually seems insignificant. That's when you know you've gone small enough. This is something that's worth pointing out. The lead domino is just the lead domino that sets the domino fall in motion. That single domino does not have the sufficiency to knock every domino down. It just has enough to get the momentum going. So perfect example, you want to lose 20 pounds. People say, well, I'm going to start going to the gym five days a week. That's an 18th domino. Or I'm going to start waking up at 5.30 a.m. when I have zero track record of waking up at 5.30 a.m. That's too big. That's an 18th domino. Going small is saying, I'm going to turn the TV off at 9 p.m. Because if I do that, I'm more likely to be in bed by 10. And if I'm in bed by 10, I'm likely to get enough sleep that makes getting up at 5.30 easier, which makes getting to the gym easier. And if I exercise five days a week, I'm more likely to lose 20 pounds. So a lead domino is turning the TV off, not necessarily the wake up or the actual exercise. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. I had a colleague once that when I started a new job, he sent me a thank you note, a note just saying like, hey, congratulations. And in it, he wrote small wins. And I don't think I ever thought about that note until this moment where it's like, this is the epitome of small wins. Like this is us teaching you habit forming processes that say small wins are great. Keep those going so that you eventually see those big wins. That's right. I think people just discount the small actions because they can't see how that 
isolated activity drives the result. But it's not about it in isolation. It's about lining the dominoes up so that when you knock the first one down, it helps making the second, the third, the fourth easier or unnecessary. So you made a mention of time and time blocking and time management somewhere in there. Your calendar, I would imagine when you started with the one thing looks completely different than it does today. Can you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) Well, my calendar when I first started looked like a game of Tetris. (laughs) I remember it was sometime between Friday and Sunday. I'd open up my digital calendar. I'd see all the stuff that was already scheduled. And then I'd go to my email. And the first request for my time, I'd go to my digital calendar. And if I saw white space, I would say yes, without any context of where this falls in order of priority. And before you know it, I am literally running from meeting to meeting every day, all day, looking up at the end of the day, wondering what the heck did I get done? As I started to go on my journey over six plus years, I realized that if doing the most important thing is the most important thing, I had to start viewing my calendar differently. Instead of treating all the things that were scheduled like they were etched in stone, I started to realize that just because something's on my calendar, it still needs to interview to keep its spot. Because when I do my 411 and identify my priorities for the week, my priorities should be prioritized on my calendar. Meaning, if I need two hours to drive revenue for the company and my entire day is booked, I need to be able to ask the question, what matters more? These eight meetings or me identifying two hours for me to do my most important thing and being willing to say, hey, so-and-so, something's come up. I've got to reschedule. That was a game changer for me. Just realizing that just because something's on your calendar doesn't mean it has to stay there. So many people feel like they're constantly playing catch up with their calendar. What advice would you give someone that would help them take control of their calendar, play with a lead, and even improve their ability to plan ahead? I would say before you even look at your calendar, before you even open the software on your computer or on your cell phone, grab a blank piece of paper and a pen and ask yourself the question, what is the most important thing that I can accomplish this coming week? And literally identify one thing just based on your memory. Get clarity on what that is and ask yourself the question, how much time do I think I'm going to need to accomplish that and identify it? Then open your calendar. See all the stuff that's scheduled and ask yourself the question, where am I going to block time to accomplish this one thing? And if you want, you can schedule it in the white space. You can schedule it around everything else, but you also have to have an honest conversation. If you're just leaving it to the end of the day or you're trying to 30 minutes here, 30 minutes here, 30 minutes here, because you're trying to squeeze it in between a bunch of appointments, you have to ask yourself the question if you're really setting yourself up for success or is there something on your calendar that you can cancel or reschedule so that you can take that time back and invest it in the thing that matters most? When people think of time blocking, they're just like, oh, I'll put 30 minutes here, 10 minutes there, six seconds over here. And the fact of the matter is, is unless you put that boulder in the stream, breaking it up that way is not helpful. And I've done that, but I also know myself well enough now to know that if I schedule myself wall to wall, I'm going to violate the time blocks with myself because I finish a meeting with other people. 
I'm exhausted. I want to go make myself a nice coffee. I need to go outside and go for a walk, or I need to go let the dogs out. Like there's something that I need to do. And I will easily violate that time that I allocated for myself and then sprint back because I have a commitment to somebody else that I've got to honor. And before you know it, you say no to all the things that matter most that you need to move the ball on. And you say yes to sitting in a bunch of meetings where you're not actually necessarily doing the most important stuff. So when I think about successful calendaring and not only getting ahead or playing with a lead on the calendar, but also just maintaining control, I think about it in two pieces. And one is reflection and the other is planning. One of the most valuable time blocks I have every week is the hour time block I maintain on Fridays that I invest 50% of that on just reflecting on the prior week. Do you have any experience with that that you'd want to share, Jeff? Of course. I mean, this is what we teach when we help companies start using a 411 as their tool for accountability. It's one thing to sit down every week and proactively identify your priorities for the upcoming week and time block them. That's the planning side. Yet you don't grow as fast if you don't start it with reflection. So looking back on your past week and asking yourself the question, what were my priorities this past week? How did I do? Did I actually get them done? How do I feel about that? And based on that, what can I do differently this next week? I mean, this was a a conversation with a leader in, in a big company. We were doing an internal training for them. And I remember just asking her those four questions. What were your priorities last week? How'd you do? How do you feel about it? Based on that, what can you do differently this week? That turned into a 15 minute long, deep, rich conversation about what's actually going on in her life. Her marriage is is really struggling because she's going from meeting to meeting and not actually doing the most important things. And then when she should be with her husband, she's doing the stuff she should have done during the day in the evenings. And it was putting massive strain. And it all came down to the fact that she just was always checking email. She never felt empowered to say no. So we had this amazing conversation about that. Then we earned the right to say, okay, great, awesome. So what are your priorities this week? Are they in order of priority? Are you clear on the activities you're going to do to actually drive the results? Are they on your calendar? What's most likely to stop you? How are you going to overcome that? She just had so much more clarity and confidence going into the next week. And I remember texting her at the end of the following week and saying, how did it go? And she goes, it was such a game changer. It just gave her the confidence to say, hey, this is one tiny tweak I can make this week to feel more in control of my time. If you do that every week, you've got the opportunity to level your game up over 50 times a year. That's how you have massive growth. And it's because you start with the reflection. So I would have to imagine, Jeff, you've seen thousands of aha moments in the six plus years that you've been with the organization. Was there one speaking engagement or workshop that has been particularly memorable for you when it comes to those moments? The one that comes to mind is just because it's one of the more recent ones. This is a very well-known company. Every one of you would know what it is, but I don't know if we have the permission to to share them as a customer. So I'm just going to keep it anonymous. We were working with the top brass of this company. And it was a two-day offsite. Day one was casting a long-term vision for the company, setting 10-year goals, five-year goals, one-year goals. Day two was turning their one-year goals into an actual business plan they could execute against for the next 12 months. And I remember when I asked them what their goals were originally, they shared what their goals were. And I remember thinking, 
they're not thinking big enough. And so I challenged them. Fast forward 10 years. Imagine if your results were extraordinary, like blow your mind. You blow Wall Street's expectations out of the water. What would that look like? And when you ask a question that way, it allowed them to suspend disbelief enough to actually dream, to actually cast a vision. And when we helped them articulate what those 10-year goals were, they were like, well, there's no way we could accomplish that. I remember them saying, there's no way we could accomplish that. That's too big. And we said, let's see. If that was the 10-year vision, where would we have to be in five years? And five years is still out far enough that it allows you to suspend disbelief of what's possible. And they got clarity on that. And when we asked, okay, well, what would you have to accomplish in the next year to feel like you're on track for five? What they came up with suddenly was more believable. They're like, okay, that's a stretch. Like it's slightly uncomfortable, but it's actually not as crazy as we thought it would be. And in day two, when we said, great, now let's actually create the plan on how we're going to hit those one-year targets in alignment with the five-year and the 10-year goals. All of a sudden, that's when they got their momentum. I remember the person who owned the number one priority, they came up with four strategies that they would have to put in place. And as we started talking about it more, they realized they actually didn't need to do four things. They only needed to do one thing. One thing, it was actually super simple. It was super doable. And if they did it, boom, it was going to drive the majority of the results that was going to put them on track. And so the reason I'm sharing this story is because it's a story of how We grossly overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but we massively underestimate what we can accomplish in five or 10 because we look at our current skill set, our current mindset, and we artificially impose a ceiling over what's possible rather than make the ceiling irrelevant. Dream big, set some big targets out there and ask the question, how might we? And then identify those small little dominoes and start whacking away at them. You'll achieve way more than you think is possible. And naturally, we, we root ourselves in the challenges and the perceptions and the obstacles that we see today. And this concept of imagining out into the future and how might I allows you to give yourself permission to break free of those and, and just get crazy. And absolutely reverse engineer your way back to what is truly possible this year and what you need to say yes to to make it happen. You get out of the logical side of your brain that's like, well, is this realistic? And are we going to be able to do this? And you get into the creative side of, okay, well, if we did do it, fast forward and imagine it happened. How did we do it? You start using a different part of the brain and you end up coming up with something greater than you would have otherwise. So you're talking five years for the podcast, right? It's been five years since it got its start. And we host 66-day challenges each year to help people form better habits. And each year, that means five 66-day challenges. So you had about 25 66-day challenges that you could have done. What is one habit in the last five years that you've picked up that has been the most impactful for you? It was the first 66-day challenge. It was checking my 411 before I checked my email. It was like I had been living my entire life in black and white, but didn't know it until I saw color for the first time. Going through life, checking email, going to meetings, checking email, saying yes when people asked if you got a minute, fast forwarding to the end of the day, knowing I was busy, but questioning what I got done. I normalized that. And we've all normalized that. But the moment... I said, all right, every day for 66 days, 
Before I check my email, I'm going to check my priorities. When you look at your priorities, all of a sudden, I stopped artificially inflating the importance of what was in my inbox. And when I was focusing on the most important thing, I started doing the most important thing. When I started doing the most important thing, I started having more success in less time with less stress and being able to be more present with my family. It is the single habit that set up all the others because it taught me and gave me, frankly, the confidence to say, I can choose something that matters. I can focus on it and will it into existence. Now, fast forward six and a half years later, how do you continue to stay sharp and reinvent your success with the principles, the concepts, and the tools of the one thing? Well, this is in the book. The moment we view mastery as a journey we go on rather than a destination we arrive at, it starts to feel achievable and attainable. Mastery is not about, I have reached the finish line and I have mastered the one thing. It is a never-ending journey of acknowledging where you're having success and acknowledging where you are still struggling. And I still, even though I'm no longer with the organization, I still do a 411 every week. I believe in these principles enough to the point that I was willing to align my identity with it for six and a half years. And I will keep doing those things. And every week, by the way, I fail to get something done that's important. Every week, I fail to honor a time block, which means every week I have an opportunity to get even more clear on what belongs on my calendar. I have an opportunity to get to strengthen that muscle of saying yes to the most important thing and saying no to other things, especially when the world kicks and screams and fights for you to say yes to their priorities. So it's just a never-ending journey for me. I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday and we're talking about mastery as a journey and their perception of it was that there's almost steps along the way, like levels up as you go along that are clear and they recognize that once they've achieved a certain level that they realize some level of anxiety when they see the distance between the level they're at now and on into the next level. And once you achieve something you set out to achieve on this path of mastery, you've developed all the skills and the awareness and the knowledge to earn the right to be in that place. So it no longer seems significant, but you become aware of where you need to go next. How do you take a moment along this path of mastery to appreciate what you've accomplished and give yourself permission to continue forward? I'm not the best at this, to be transparent. And I think that's actually pretty common among high achievers. We often do not stop to celebrate our successes, to smell the roses, whatever metaphor Mm. you want to use. But what's actually been very helpful to me is the people I surround myself with. Having people around me that I've intentionally formed relationships with who will call those things out. And then, you know, over the six, last six plus years, I've actually formed the habit of reflection of intervals, whether it's on a weekly basis, monthly basis, quarterly, annually. I'm not necessarily consistent on that, but I consistently reflect at certain intervals. I will look back on what has happened. And again, If you had asked me six and a half years ago, Jeff, fast forward, you're moving on from the organization to your next chapter. What could you accomplish that would make you say, whoa, that's extraordinary. The things that I would have listed out 
would have been too small. I achieved more than I would have thought possible six and a half years ago. And it's kind of like people say, you know, once you climb to the top of the mountain, you can see that much further and you just see the next peak that you couldn't see before. I'm just seeing the next peak. And I know that as I get to the next peak, I'm going to see even further and even further. And it's a never ending journey. What I have learned along the way is how important it is to celebrate the gains, the successes that you've had, rather than focusing on the gap between where you are and where you think you ought to be. Because if all your focus is on that gap, you are destined to be miserable. And if you are able to weave in the celebration of what you have accomplished so far, that's where you start to feel more fulfillment along the way. Because you've earned the right to achieve that goal or to be in that place that success can almost feel insignificant in the moment. So if you don't take a minute to appreciate the distance that you've gained, you can miss the point of the journey. Oh man, I became so hyper aware the moment I'd hit a goal, how I automatically moved the goalpost and was focusing on the next thing. I remember this. It was November of 2020. Jay and I were in Seattle because COVID, we were all in lockdown for COVID, but we were facilitating the couple's goal setting retreat virtually. And I remember he and I were sitting down for lunch and I realized it was inevitable by the end of the year, we were going to become millionaires. This was a lifelong goal. And I was clear it was going to happen. No ifs, no ands, no buts. It was going to happen by the end of the calendar year. And the moment I realized it, I automatically moved the goal. I felt zero celebration and was automatically focused on how do I get to the next target? And that's a huge mistake. The psychology of money. In that book, they talk about one of the biggest mistakes people make is they constantly move the goalpost. And so... When I realized I hit the goal, I didn't celebrate at all. And I automatically moved the goalpost to a bigger number. And that, and Jay's in my conversation during that lunch was, how do we celebrate you hitting the goal? And it doesn't mean you can't aim higher now, but how do you celebrate what you've accomplished and everything else is extra credit or everything else is the cherry on the top? Striking that balance of, you know, take a moment to appreciate what you've accomplished, but don't become complacent and live there for too long. Like give yourself right. the permission to celebrate, but then set your eyes on, on your next target. That's right. So for you who's listening to this, if you've been on your journey of living the one thing for even a few months now, I'm pretty confident if you paused, grabbed a pen and a piece of paper and asked, how have I grown? since I've started living the one thing. What have I been able to accomplish on my journey so far? I feel very confident that you would be able to highlight some things that are worth celebrating that maybe you have yet to celebrate. So how might you begin to weave that into your routine so you're not always just looking ahead at what you have not yet accomplished, but you can actually celebrate the successes along the way? Jeff, do you think moving the goalpost is something that high achievers inherently just do because once something becomes too close or, or it seems too easy, it's like, well, now I need to move it even further because now I'm not challenged that much or I need to be challenged more. Like, is there something there for us to look at? I'm not an expert and I haven't done the research in it, but anecdotally, I think so. For someone who, who is new to the process of setting big goals and designing this path to achieving them and you know, the conversation that we're having now and they're trying to relate. Do you have any insider advice for someone who's just getting started in this journey and how they can begin to take 
bite-sized pieces of this process and score some early wins? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you've got to redefine what the purpose of the goal is. And it's not what we've learned from Gary is it is not to achieve a result. Your measure of success is not whether or not you hit the goal. The measure of success is if it informs the person you need to become. If it gives you clarity, here's who I need to become. Therefore, here's a decision and how I need to make and how I put into action. That is the success. I mean, I'll give you a super clear example right now. For years on this podcast, I have publicly talked about my journey of becoming a family man with a business, not a businessman with a family. And when I said it, for thousands of people to hear, I genuinely believed I had become that person. And it wasn't until going on paternity leave at the beginning of this year that I realized how emotionally out of balance I was. And I had to ask the question, what are my priorities? And my kids are at this golden age of nine, six, and newborn where they love daddy. They want to be with daddy and daddy is not emotionally there. And I had two priorities that were now in conflict. And I had to ask the question, which is more important? And it was family. So if my goal is to actually be a family man with a business, that meant that I had to become a different person. In this case, it meant no longer being the face of the one thing or being with the organization. It meant passing the baton to the team that's in place for them to continue to take the torch moving forward and for me to move forward in my next chapter. That's the purpose of the goal. You know, it's so fascinating about all of this because we're all so sad to see you step away, but it's such a great full circle moment to see you as a practice leader, as a loving father, as a human, just come all the way around to, you know, chasing Jay out of that sales conference to now learning and accepting the one thing and creating your next one thing. I mean, it's just such a wonderful moment, but I know that we're all so sad to see you go. Well, the the feeling's very mutual. I can't think of a way that I could have better invested my time the last six and a half years. The person that I have become, I'm really proud of. I'm proud of how I've grown and learned along the way. And It's also incredibly clear to me where my shortcomings are right now and where I need to focus to further become the best version of myself. And that's my focus for the next chapter. So with that said, you know, having a chapter, Jeff, the book is written. You've had all this experience with the one thing, but if you could add a chapter at the end, what would the Jeff Woods chapter be? I'd call it Start Living the One Thing. This was so clear to me going from turning the book into a company that people read the book, they listen to the podcast, they think it's great, but they start trying to live it. They think big. They set a huge vision for what it looks like to live the one thing, but then they try to act big by doing everything that's in the book. Always acting perfectly in order of priority, never multitasking, always forming a habit, always doing their most important work in the morning when their willpower is at the highest, striking great counterbalance, thinking big and not thinking that it's bad. And they then feel like a failure. And you only let yourself feel like a failure for so long before you change the story you tell yourself 
we do not naturally want to acknowledge that we have failed. So it's easier to say the one thing failed. The one thing doesn't work for me. When in fact, you just didn't actually work for it. So it would be the chapter about how to think big, but go small and trust the dominoes will fall. To give yourself permission to identify that tiny, simple action that in isolation seems insignificant. Yet when day after day after day, you knock it down over time, you will blow yourself away. As you move on to this next chapter, what advice would you have for Sarah and myself as two new budding podcast hosts? One, authenticity. I figured out that the more honest I was willing to be about my failures along the way, the more people listened. And the more people can relate because nobody who's listening to this is looking for a guru to stand up on stage and talk about how perfect their life is. They're looking for somebody that they can relate to and they are struggling on their journey. So the more that the two of you can publicly struggle on your journeys, the more value you will deliver. And from an incredibly strategic standpoint with the podcast, always ask the question, how is this episode helping somebody better live the one thing this week? What is the 20% message we are trying to deliver? And how are we delivering that directly? Jeff, this podcast, you've garnered such a following and you've got a lot of longtime listeners who have soaked up every word. What do you have to say to them? This is a celebration. It's very bittersweet. I mean, you can hear the emotions in my voice. But it's been a true honor to go on this journey with you. And I have the utmost confidence in Chris and Sarah and the team to take the torch moving forward. So ask the question, how can you not only continue your commitment to living the one thing, but how do you now become a practice leader? How do you become that person who inspires someone else? Because I'll tell you, that's what is behind these emotions is knowing how me going on my journey might've played a role in empowering you to go on yours. So now it's your turn. Who can you empower? I want to say thank you for the investment that you made in myself. And I know that you've made in Sarah, Jeff, and the time that we've spent. I'm a better person for the influence that we've shared. So I want to say thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. While our voices may be new, we're committed to providing you the same tools and guidance to help you on your path to mastery. Join Sarah and I weekly for new episodes of The One Thing Podcast. If you're new to the show, click the follow button so episodes will be automatically downloaded to your device. And if you've got feedback, email podcast at theonething.com. That's podcast at T-H-E number one thing.com. This episode was recorded with the friendly cooperation of KUT Media at the KUT Public Media Studios. I'm Sarah Hendricks. And I'm Chris Dixon. We'll see you next week.